Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Well, we are in James. This is our third week in James, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Um, and, you know, the James, we've titled the series Tried and True, and this message, Integrity. So if you guys could stand, and we'll read together, then we'll, uh, we'll pray and get into some study here. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious is, religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Lord, we, uh, we come before you. Um, everyone's coming from different spots. Everybody's coming from, some had a great week, some had the worst weeks. Um, and we know that you are wanting to minister to each one of us and to challenge each one of us and to comfort each one of us. And so uh, as we get into your word, we pray that you'd open up our eyes to see what you want us to see and our ears to hear what you want us to hear, that we'd be confronted and again comforted and encouraged and blown away by your wisdom and your goodness and your kindness towards us. So God, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit and open our, open our understanding and soften our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. So uh, I titled, I've actually titled this message, I changed the title like three times today. Uh, <laughs> you can ask Makai, I'm like, actually it's gonna be this, actually it's gonna be this, actually it's gonna be this, and this is the last one. Uh, but as I was thinking about it, I mean, there's the obvious one is like hearers and doers, but I was thinking about how this all ties into in integrity, like integrity like soundness of belief, you know, not having two different, you know, saying one thing and doing another or thinking in one thing and then acting another. This is all, this is all like a wholeness of, of person being changed and transformed. And so I was thinking this is such a, that's such a word that's fitting for what's going on here, that we're wholly transformed by the Lord, which is something that we, um, I believe, is what is absolutely necessary for the gospel to go out. Um, it, the bumper sticker faith is, is done. People aren't buying it anymore. 
shouldn't have anyway, probably. But like we're looking for whole, whole transformation where we say that we believe that the gospel transforms lives from the inside out. People need to see it and we need to experience it or else we don't have a good news to give. So that's where we're going today. Um, real quick recap. Um, again, this is our third week. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, written one of the early books, maybe the earliest book, uh, to largely the 12 uh, uh, tribes scattered abroad, Jewish context, um, early church, really, really full of wisdom. We're going to see today, pro- like there's Proverbs in here. Again, a lot of Sermon on the Mount references. And so there's some really cool, there's some depth to this. Um, and it's, it's just such a, a great book. James uh, was, uh, the church was under heavy persecution. That's why they're scattered abroad. James himself would be martyred. Um, as tradition says, he was praying for those who were killing him after they threw him off the temple um, roof. Um, he fell and didn't die, and he was praying for them, like that God would forgive him, and then they, they killed him on the spot. So uh, powerful, powerful life, powerful message, um, real tried and true, which is, which is why we have uh, the tag kind of on there. So um, verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So then, so there's a, a continuation from last week, uh, which was the, at the end of our section was every good and perfect gift comes from above. So we're recognizing God as a, a good giver of gifts, and we're recognizing him as being faithful. What's the context before that? There's trials, there's tribulations, there's things in life that aren't easy, that, that do not, uh, they're not fun, but God is over and above all of that, working through it all, not, te- not tempting us, not because he's a good God. He gives us good and perfect gifts. He works things out for like our betterment in a, on a large scale. And so with that in mind, my beloved brethren, he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Swift or quick to listen, eager to listen. Usually we're eager to put a word in, right? You know when you're not in a listening mode, you're just like, just finish what you're saying so I could say something. Like, I can't wait to say something. I got something to say to that, you know? It's like, but learning to be eager to listen. Listening is something that uh, we don't probably, we don't naturally, maybe some do. If you're just quiet, you're an introvert. You kind of get a hookup on this, you know, uh, where it's kind of natural for you. That's, that's great. Uh, but most of us struggle with this, especially if you are, uh, you hate awkward silence. Um, we're talking about in home groups. I thought it was like, there's something for a little bit of awkward silence. If you fill every space, then it doesn't give people an opportunity to respond. So like give a little bit of space and let it be awkward for a minute. Um, but slow, the idea is to be slow uh, or yeah, quick to listen and slow to say things. My wife, Tori, she, is, uh, she finds great joy in asking people questions. And, uh, and it's, it's such a gift. Um, I try to do it. I've been trying to do it more. It's, it's, it's hard. It's a learned practice. But even last night we were talking about something and she just started asking me questions. And I'm just like, I started answering them. And before you know it, it's deep, man. We're, we're in it deep. And it's like I've exposed my soul, you know, <laughs> because the questions, 
they get to know you. And, and when you're being asked questions and you're being valued and you're being actually, because when you're asking questions, you're not asking it and then not listening. We went on a mission trip to Hungary some years ago. They taught us all these different words you would say and, you know, whatever. The, the, the most famous ones were, where's the bathroom? That was, that was a good one, you know. Uh, but the, one of them was hojvaj, which means, how are you? And they said, this is how you say it, but you probably shouldn't say it because you don't speak Hungarian. We're like, well, why? Well, because if you say, how are you in Hungarian, people will answer you. Like, that, because there, when you ask them, how are you, that's a question. Like, I walk by people, and I'm like, hey, how are you? <laughs> what, and we imagine that we're like, well, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I've got some struggles at work, and I'm just like, oh, bro, I was, that was not, I didn't actually want to know that. So why'd you say, Hi, how are you? It's just something that we've kind of like, I don't know. That's a bummer, by the way. Um, but asking questions is a great way to learn how to listen. Um, because when you're asking questions and you're actively listening, you know what you really get to do is you get to, you get to understand these people, and it has a lot to do with valuing them. Do you care? You know, one of, the, one of the most valuable things you can do if you have kids is to ask them questions and then to listen to the answers. Also, also, it's entertaining. It's very entertaining, especially the younger they are, the more entertaining it is. But when you ask a kid questions and listen to them, they're used to being kind of shushed, you know? And Jesus had something to say about that, didn't he? And they'd show up, the kids are there, and they're like, get away. And he's like, no, like, bring them in. This is, this is like what the kingdom's all about. You want to be in the king, you want to be part of this? You got to be like one of them. And so you bring them in, you bring kids, and kids say the funniest stuff. And, but they feel so valued by you spending time with them. I know my kids, when there would be an adult that would show any sort of a love for them, a lot of our old former youth students were so good at this. And they would sit there and be like, so what are you, what are you doing right now? What's going on? Are you, what are you into? You know, be like, oh, well, we're playing Smash on, on, you know, Nintendo Switch or something. Oh, wow. And then I remember one of our friends bought them the expansion pass. They will never forget that, you know. I won't either because I'm a lot better with those players, but um, made a dominant force over here, you know. But, uh, but it, the, the idea is when you, when you value people, you listen to them. And, but that takes work, and it also takes understanding of value for people. Love God, love one another. So we're to be uh, uh, quick to listen, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Being slow to speak, man, this is all over the Proverbs and throughout the rest of the Bible. I'll read a couple. Proverbs 13, 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. It's so true, right? How, how, you look at wisdom from back in the day. This is just, it's, it's like it could be written right now. And, and you look at your life and you're like, the times where you're like, I probably shouldn't say this but I'm going to say it anyway. Blow right through all the guardrails. The Holy Spirit's like, please no, you know, <laughs> trying to pull you back. And you're like, you know what? Today's the day. And maybe you're still recovering from the nuclear bomb you set off in your relationships. Proverbs 17, 27 through 28. He who has knowledge spares his words and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. You know, that's part of listening. 
is being able to just sit back and relax. It doesn't always have to be about us. It doesn't always have to be about everything we want. Just relax, be calm. Like, I think part of this is understanding that God is working in us and putting people in our lives for a reason. And that that's, makes life really exciting. Like, I wonder why I ran into you today. And so that helps you to kind of ask questions and be inquisitive. Now, it's easy to go when you go home and you have like your family and you're like, well, I know why I'm by you today because we live in the same house, you know, and that's where we always are. But like, what, what has God, what does he have for you to do even in your own home or in your own workplace or whatever? Why am I here? This is kind of that idea. Calm spirit, relax. Verse 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. He's saying even someone who knows nothing, when he's quiet, seems kind of smart. You know the quiet person, you're like, what are they thinking? They must think I'm, so, I'm an idiot. Like, what do they don't, they just, they, oh, wow. And even that, they can tell. They can tell that I'm even thinking this right now. They're just, they're so smart. They, they see it all, and they're just sitting there going like, I'm wondering what I'm going to eat later. Like, but I'm just, I have nothing to say. And you, but they're perceived as wise. Proverbs 10, 19 through 21, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. And there's a lot here, right? And we can certainly, there'll be more on, on the tongue. Don't worry. Uh, thanks, James. Well, yeah, it tells me it's a universal issue. It's something that is, that is something that we have to learn throughout time. Our, our, we can do great things with our tongue, as we'll get into later. But we can also do horrendously destructive things. But learning how to listen and, and hear is really important, first to the word of God and also to those around us. Uh, so Ecclesiastes 3, 7, there's a time to tear, a time to sow, time to keep silence, a time to speak. And then in the New Testament, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. You may know you ought to answer each person. You know, the, the emphasis I'm getting is that you, not that you don't speak, but that your, your speech has weight. Like it's been thought through and it has weight. And you don't say it unless you're ready to say it. Maybe you, you're in a place where you go like, oh, I don't feel like I should. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't say this. But stop, just stop. Don't do the but. Like when you, when you hear that and you think that, don't say it. Because I've done it a couple times where I'll start to say something. And with my, with, especially if you have kids. Oh, I was going to, never mind. I'm not going to say it. And they're like, you have to say it now. And I'm like, no, I don't have to say it now. Because if I said it now, it wouldn't be good, and I don't want to say something not good. They're like, well, you have to. I'm just going to keep bugging you while I'm not going to say it. You, if you can say it, if you can get to the point where you don't even say, I'm about to say this, that, then it's even easier. But so we're to be uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath or anger. The word for wrath, it's, it speaks to like natural impulse, temperament, uh, if we're thinking with eyes of, and lives of integrity, I value people and I trust God like I say I do. 
We're not the ones that are going to be in charge. For the wrath, the word wrath, verse 20, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The, the natural impulse or anger of man does not bring about righteousness. So our, our impulse and reaction does not lead to godliness. Because usually what happens is when we're saying wrath is someone said something to offend me and I'm going to level the playing field. It's a perverted view of justice. I'm going to bring about justice because, because I've, been, I've been hurt. And I, so now I'm going to level the playing field. Uh, and so we're looking at it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. God is absolutely just, but he produces righteousness. And the word righteousness is justice or like equity. Equitableness is actually one of the words that I saw when I was deep studying or fairness or uprightness. Like, so it doesn't bring, it doesn't heal anything. We can't produce life, flourishing, hope of the spirit in the flesh. So that's the idea. It's like you, you'll never produce something of the spirit in the flesh. So if we're angry and we think, oh, I'm just going to tear them down and then, then they'll know and I'm, I'm God's vessel of wrath towards them right now, I'm going to do it, you know? It's not going to produce what you think it's going to produce. Leave the vengeance to the one who can do it with all holiness and love and kindness and grace and mercy let him administer that kind of justice, especially when you're angry. You know what they say if you have kids? Never discipline your kids angry when you're, up, when you're really mad because you throw the kitchen sink at them. You are grounded for the rest of your life. You are not allowed to even marry or have a car or whatever. It's like, what do they do, you know? Like, what, are you, what did they do to deserve a life sentence, you know? Because when you're angry, you overdo it. But when you come back calm, you're able to give like a punishment that fits the crime and you're able to have a conversation. When you're angry, you're not. So this is the idea is that don't bring up, try to think you're going to bring about justice by using natural impulse and wrath. This is really wise. And it's important to also remember that, that there is some things we'll never see justice for on this side of eternity. Not to say we shouldn't seek it. This is part of the Abrahamic righteousness is, is that they would be full of justice and righteousness. Mishpat, Tzedakah, the two things in, Abraham, or in Genesis 18. But the vengeance belongs to the Lord. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So that's, that's it right there. Don't repay evil for evil. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, beloved. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So th this is, can get twisted too, because you're like, it's time to start. I'm going to be so nice that I'm going to be heaping that. No, it's not a fake nice. It's, and this is an understanding of even like the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
There's an, a, a mutual understanding and recognition of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I need forgiveness. I, if someone says something wrong to you, um, are you in any place to say anything? Have you never said anything wrong? Have you never offended anyone? Have you never spoken out in the flesh? But what Jesus is doing is he's not freeing the person who's done this to you, there's, although there's some of that. The idea is it's freeing you from becoming a bitter, angry person and letting that take over where now all of a sudden everything must be justified by me. Street justice, baseball bat justice, whatever, you know? I'm gonna take this into my own hands. Our wrath doesn't accomplish any sort of real healing or even real help. We think, oh, we'll get even or whatever, but we open up an even bigger can of worms. We want justice that leads to flourishing, not destruction. And so that's led by the Lord. Even so, even in our efforts to bring about justice, it's done through the Lord. How would you have us do it? We can be right and wrong at the same time. Think about like retaliation. I mean, think back about like, a, uh, you know, in our childhood, one person would annoy the other one and then, or they do something to them and then, and then run away and then the, the next person chase, who gets in trouble? Or especially if they hit you and then you hit them back so hard, who's in trouble? The one who retaliates, you know? And it's like you're not getting any less punishment from what the other person did to initiate it. Yes, you were wronged, but you're just as wrong because of the way you've handled that. Okay, anyway, so swift to hear, ask questions, value people, slow to speak. Don't just say things because you'll out yourself that you're not that smart right? <laughs> or, or holy or whatever. No, you're all smart, I know. But I'm just saying, all of us, we all have a way of putting our foot in our mouth. And then what else? Be slow to wrath. Understand God's on the throne. Verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Lay aside, therefore lay aside all filthiness. Uh, the, the word lay aside, it means like to take off. Take off this filthiness, this moral uncleanness, this old junk that is part of your old nature, your old man. Literally think about taking it off. There's something to that. Like literally think about taking it off. Think about, like when you think about casting your cares, literally think about casting your cares before the Lord or laying down your burdens here Maybe when you worship, you worship like this as an act of surrender. Here's all my stuff. Here's all the broken issues in my life. Here's all the things, Lord, here it is. It's like literally thinking about doing these things and, and recognizing this does not belong here. So lay aside or put off all filthiness and overflow or it's surplus of wickedness, evil, or malice. This tells us what's in the flesh, a surplus of it. I'm a new creation. I'm created in Christ Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I trust him. I continue. I'm new. And so when you're feeling like the old man, you say, no, I don't. I take that off now. I'm not. I'm not on that team anymore. You know, we play, I remember we'd play like uh, 
soccer or something like that or whatever in in high school and you'd have the uh you'd put on the jerseys that are like basically tank tops and you could change the color it would if they were reversible and you might be on one team and then all of a sudden you're on the other team and it changes everything <laughs> now all of a sudden the people who i was with i'm not with anymore and the people i was against i'm now on that team think about that like we're Created new in Jesus, but a lot of it is recognized in our mind. A lot of the battle is in our mind. We don't believe that we're free. It's like the elephant who was staked to a, you know, to a tiny little stake in the ground rope when he was little and still thinks it can hold him. When he could pick up the whole tent and throw it with his, you know. Satan's good at keeping us down, is what I'm saying. And he's really good at accusing us. So instead, so lay aside all that or take off all that filthiness and overflow of wickedness and welcome in, receive or welcome in meekness, which is like gentleness or humility. It's meekness. We see uh, last week we talked about the poor in spirit, right? And then in the Beatitudes, this one's in the Beatitudes too. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness but strength under control. All of this has to do with self-control. We're no longer, um, remember we talked about the, the real three enemies of the world, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're no longer held by these things. We're no longer swayed by every little thing. We now have been given a, a part of the Holy Spirit and one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. That I'm not so easily manipulated. Someone with a hockey temper, we call our friends with like, we call them hockey temper, you know, which is, Zane, you can understand, right? Because you're from <laughs> hockey land. But uh, the idea is that like, you'll see these guys and they're just all having fun and the next thing you know, they're pulling the shirts over and punching each other. Hockey temper, you know? It goes from zero to 100 really, really fast. It's wild that's still allowed in that sport. So they're just like, oh, they're fighting and the refs are sitting back like, watching. As soon as someone hits the ground, they're like, all right, you guys are done. So you're like, it you, looks like they're saying, like, dude, you got to learn how to fight better. This is, that was way too quick. But yeah, we had some, a couple of friends, we call them hockey temper. And these are the people that if they got bad news, they put a hole in the, the tour van or something when they were on tour, like break their hand. You're like, yeah, good luck playing an instrument now. But it's just the idea that you can't be controlled. You can't control yourself. And, and, and it might seem like strength, because I remember when I was in high school, I had a bit of a hockey temper and it actually served me for a, a season until people learn that they can manipulate you and get you to do whatever you want. You, know, you can learn it a lot younger than that. Siblings do that. That's the antagonizing thing. Hey, hey, uh, you know, tap, 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 tap. Whack, did you see that? You know. They were tapping me. Well, you slapped them in the face, you know. That's a little different. So blessed are the meek, the strength under control. That's Jesus incarnate. As, as people are mocking him, as people are antagonizing him, oh yeah, you're so strong, you, you can't even save yourself. Oh, if you're, if you're the son of God, why don't you try and do this? And he's just like, no, meekness, strength under control. Yeah, I'm not bowing to you. You don't get to control me and tell me what to do. So we put aside all the things that control us, which is uh, the flesh. We say the flesh no longer has the hold that it used to have on us. We are now new creations. 
right? We receive this implanted word, what is inside of us. That's transformative. The message has power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For as the power to save, which can deliver your soul or your life. So we take off our old man, we put on our new. Ephesians, right, four, talks about our former conduct, the man we used to be in, in his lust, and instead we put on the new man. You're not, you're not him anymore. You're not her anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. And we, we're, we have this, this thing where we say, do I choose to go the way of the lamb or the way of the dragon? It's the way of the lamb is that Jesus, in his victory, was the lamb that was slain. Man, that does not look like a victory until later. And you've probably heard me reference it before, but I love the, the imagery. You watch like the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you see Aslan, and he's so strong, and he's so powerful, and he's just majestic. And, and Edmund's sin complicates matters to the core, and he's like, this is not good, Edmund. This is not good. For Turkish delight, man. It's not even good, you know? Um, maybe you like it. I don't know. I don't like it. But, uh, but it, he goes and he, and, he, and he says, I'm going to have to do something. So I'm going to have to do something that's going to be kind of hard. And he goes and he, and he delivers himself over to the white witch's power. And what happens? Don't mean to, you know, give you any spoilers, but it was over 20 years ago and now at this point, no, it was 20 years ago probably, 18, I don't know, whatever. Long time. If you read the books, it's much longer. But the scene of him getting his hair cut off, the mane, just demoralized. Just like all of his, because he's, he's got this majesty in his, in his, his roar and, his, and he's tied up and he can't do anything and he's beaten and he's taken down to the core and it it's, it's hurts you to watch. You're like, just get up and kill them all. And no, but he's meek. He's under control. It's the idea. Is, this is Jesus being beaten, being mocked. And he could wipe everybody out all at once. But he knew what had to be done. And he was, it was his plan to even do it. And then, of course, the, the darker the night, the brighter the morning. As he rises again and then assembles his army and it's on. <laughs> Go home and watch that movie. We have a little book that's like the background of how C.S. Lewis came up with that. It's really sweet. He, yeah, he, had, he had a really hard life, and he dreamt of a land in a wardrobe. And it's just, anyway, really, really interesting. But the implanted word that's in us, this new creation, we choose the way of the lamb, even though we were slain. And we're willing to do that, knowing that we win in the end, because we're with the one who wins. It's him. It's Jesus. Christus Victor, the Christ the Victor, you know? This is, this is who we align with. This is him. But be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So we're to combat the filth and surplus and darkness by aligning ourselves with God's word. Where do wars come from and strife? James 4, 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from desires that pleasure in your members? We uh, can easily learn things and then do the opposite. Sin's rebellion against God, uh, it's, it's the world, the flesh, the devil, all of it. 
We believe him over all of that. We believe him over ourselves, not just in word, but in deed. We believe it enough to do it. That's the idea. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know, it's like, it's easy to say, that's good advice. But if you don't do it, you don't believe it's good advice. Be like watching a P90X video while eating Krispy Kreme. Man, that is a great way to get ripped. I'm hoping I can get it through osmosis. Maybe if I sleep next to the DVD, somehow I will, I'm going to get some six-pack abs by summer. <laughs> we put ourselves under our own deception. That's what's interesting too, was it say? Deceiving ourselves. We're really good at that, by the way. We are really good at making excuses and deceiving ourselves. Um, we really can believe that we can do something better on our own. We give justification for it. We can give three-point speeches as to why. And it's usually uh, attached to some sort of victimhood. Something hasn't gone right for me. I deserve this. The more subtle, and it's, uh, the whole thing is like way more subtle and seductive than it seems. Again, last week we referenced Genesis 3. Go back and read that if you want. Look at the fall of man. It is so seductive, and Satan sparks these little things, and then the flesh takes over, and it's like, I do think I deserve this, and the results are catastrophic. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. So we'll stop there for a second. So um, the, if anyone who is, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, the, the doer, the word doer also is like maker, means producing something. Is, if nothing's produced out of this, you know, what, what is it that's produced? And this is, again, like Jesus in this parable of the sower and the seed. The seeds go out, and what happens? Varying things. But the idea is, what is he looking for? Good soil that produces what? Fruit. What is produced? If nothing is being produced from our lives, we've probably got to go back and say, I'm being deceived. I have not bought in enough. Because fruit is a natural, um, it's, it's not rocket science, right? Good soil, good sunlight, good water, growth. This is something that should be being produced in our lives. It looks different for other for everyone but you get the idea so if we can think separate beliefs from our action we're as foolish as a man that looks in his mirror in a mirror and forgets what he learned as soon as regular life resumes like you know it's like you look in a mirror and you go okay i have a big you know sharpie mark on my forehead and then forget about it and then everywhere you go people are staring at your forehead and you're like what completely forgot what you just learned. So that's what it's like to look at the word, like read the Bible and be confronted by something. You go, oh, that is such good confrontation. Wow, the Lord really spoke to me through that. Anyways, now back to the, you know, my normal life. That's what a, this man is like looking in a mirror and then forgetting everything that he saw. Like you, you're looking in your mirror and all of a sudden you're like, you got a, the white toothpaste mark up here. What do you do about it? Action. That's, that's the idea. Of course you would take action. This is the same thing. Uh, the word observing, 
you know, like observing his natural face. This has like depth to it. It's to consider or to contemplate. So when we're talking about these people who are looking at the word, hearing the word, they're not like barely doing it. These are people who are like deeply looking at the word. This is a warning shot to all of us. Yeah, I'm deeply studying the word, but it has not been powerful enough to change anything in our lives. Wild. So, and he says, when you see your natural face, the word natural face is actually the word uh, Genesis. That's, it's genealogy, birth, life, human existence. We're confronted with reality. We're stripped to the core. It, it, it reduces us to zero. And what's so cool is, you know, scripture, it, it correlates. It has, it has other scriptures that help it and that make it make even more sense. Hebrews, where we just were, four, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God pierces us at a level that we don't even understand, but we're naked and we're exposed. Maybe you've experienced this. This is the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Maybe you've experienced this where I have, where the the pastor is speaking or someone's speaking or or you're reading the word and all of a sudden you're like oh that's for me (laughs) and 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 it's not doesn't feel good at the time in a sense of like I'm exposed yeah that's a wild feeling and it just always so happens right where (laughs) not only are they speaking this and it's like whoa but they also happen to make eye contact for the first time in the whole service. They look at you. And it almost feels offensive. Like you're just kind of like, what is your problem? Like afterwards you're like, oh, who have you been talking to? And why have you been talking to them? And don't you ever do that again, you know? But you start to realize it's like God. That's God speaking to you. And he's cutting to the core, to the very nature, to the inside of everything that's inside of you. He wants to cut to the core so that he can cleanse from the core. Because we're complex. And our layers of sin, I mean, there's a lot of layers. Our houses have been built on shaky foundations. We've got to go to zero with him and allow him access from the inside out. If we're living lives of integrity, we're living lives that are vulnerable. We're saying we're not our own king. We're not in charge of everything. We're not, we don't know, even know everything. That's David, search me and know me. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He contemplates. You know, he probably appreciates the, the truth. Wow, really neat. But immediately goes away and forgets. He forgets what kind of man he is. But here's the contrast, verse 25. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. In comparison, the man who looks, and the word for looks here or or, uh, looks into the perfect law, it's, it's like to be slow, like to take a look, to bend over, look into. 
You know, if you see something on the ground and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. They're like, no, really look. And you're like, okay. Get on your hands and knees. Wow, that's a cool bug, you know. But you're looking into it intently, looking to find something, really scoping it out. What the law of liberty, of freedom. If we really see the truth, we see that God is here to set us free. He's not a vengeful judge. He's not like we would be. He's not out to hurt us. He's here to cleanse us and make us new. That's why it's so foolish to walk against what he said for us because he's trying to help us. Just like you say to your kids, don't cross the street, you know, till you know what you're doing. And then when they cross, they're like, Man, my parents are so restrictive. You're like, no, we're, we're looking for freedom for you to continue living and walking like you walk now and living like, and be able to live the life you live now. But if you go and you walk across that street and a car hits you, it's, it's a different world for you. That's just God speaking to us. So we understand that he's given us this perfect law of liberty and we're able to continue in it. The opposite of the man described above. The result is one will be blessed. And the idea again, blessed is happy. Oh, how happy. Fortunate. It's not for nothing. It's not, it's not for nothing. And when Jesus closes out his Sermon on the Mount, which is all about kingdom principles, which is exactly what we're seeing here, the upside-down kingdom. Everything you see is a lie. But everybody's bought into it, so it doesn't look like it. But let me tell you, as soon as you start abiding by this, you'll sense, you'll know what's right. You'll feel it. it it's good, not that it's not difficult, but it'll be revealed because the fruit will look different. Survival of the fittest, it does not work well. Does not feel what, you know, it's like that. That is not human flourishing. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus has just laid out the most radical stuff, like forgive your enemies and, you know, you know don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, uh, on earth, but in heaven. Radical prayer life, all, all kinds of stuff, right? Go back and read it if you want. The very end, he says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Jesus is saying the exact same thing as James. You don't just hear, you hear and you do. And we referenced this probably a month ago or something that this was probably written to, well, probably less than a month ago, I don't know. This was, this was written to believers, I mean, it was said to believers when Jesus is talking about where you build your foundation. You can be a believer and have a really bad foundation because you hear things just enough to hang out with the crew, but we aren't able to do them. And as soon as we are living that life, we're out of integrity and it starts showing in everything that we do. You cut one corner, you cut more. Everything, nothing matters anymore. I, I, a friend who's, he was, he's, all about integrity. And he says, you know, you, you got to start thinking about everything differently. He says, you say you're going to be somewhere and you're not, you make it on, you say you're going to be there at a certain time and you're not there. You're out of integrity. <laughs> you're out of integrity with your word. You can fix that. You can make that better and you can make that right. But it's a lot easier to start being in integrity with the things that you say you actually do. Because we start thinking and believing our own lies when we're outside of integrity, out of wholeness, out of one with what God is doing in us. So he says, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is Jesus again, 
and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Both sides heard it. It's potential both sides studied it and had Bible studies for it together. You know, that's sort of an idea. Not really, but... The ones who did it are the ones that received the blessing. That's what he's saying. You will be blessed if you apply this to your life. So how are we in integrity in this point? I believe in the blessings of building the right way. I believe being exposed is an act of love leading to freedom from the accuser and my own conscience. What's, the, uh, what's Satan's name, the accuser of the brethren? I'm exposed, Lord. Here I am. This is, this is it. This is what you've got. And he says, that's exactly what I will build with. Exposed, cut, right to the core. Let's remove all this nasty stuff and start over. Let's start with a good foundation. Verse 26 and 27, I'm going to close here. If anyone thinks among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. If you put on the air of being religious but don't keep your tongue in check, it's a sign of a man that looks in the mirror and forgets what kind of man he is. Actions don't match the beliefs, then, you know, it's pretty, you're exposed. It's empty, it's fruitless religion, but instead, what the real thing is, is this pure or clean and undefiled religion before God. It's the audience of one. And that's something we really got to get, is that there might not be rewards on this side of eternity. Because a lot of times we realize we're doing stuff even for God, but that's actually not for God. It's for other people, or at least for accolades. What matters to God matters to me. Transformed lives and values, new focus on the seemingly weak and unimportant things. These are kingdom values. So we're to look after the orphans and the widows. Of course, that speaks to literal orphans and widows, but that this has always been like a symbol of the, the, the down and out, the weak and the vulnerable. We value the weak and the vulnerable instead of the strong. We care about them. We're looking to meet them in that sense. And then what? Meet real needs with compassion and then walk in purity, justice and righteousness. It's impossible if we don't believe the message. If we don't believe the message, we'll be prone to maybe be more into justice or more into righteousness. And, you know, but God wants us to be part of both and, and to experience both. So we buy into the radical kingdom principles spoken of and personified in Jesus. We believe that even though we can't see it with our eyes, it's, it's doing something and it's worth it. And then we'll experience it as time goes on. We'll see that fruit in our lives produced and we'll see witness to a world and we'll see that it becomes like a, a 
a glass of cold water to a parched land. This is what God has created for us to do, and it's so different from everything that we've seen around us because what we see around us is kind of broken, right? So we live lives of integrity. I am who I say I am. I believe what I say I believe. I value what I say I value, and I trust who I say I trust. Doesn't that sound appealing? No one likes trying to figure out which friend group am I with? How am I supposed to hang out with them? Which accent do I have now? Or, you know, what words do I say? I, I saw a joke once and it said like, when you accidentally make a, um, the, a joke that you would make, say to friend group A with friend group B, and they're just like, oh. you know, yeah, yeah because you're, you know, that's, these are different lives. God wants us to have a life that's uniformed and is legit. We all want that. One of the worst things that can happen is, is living lives of guilt and shame and knowing, like, I am not who I say I am. I do not believe the things I say I believe, and I'm guilty. And you know what? There is a gospel for that. So if, if, you're, if we sense that and we feel that right now, if you feel that right now, receive forgiveness. If you've been exposed and it feels super uncomfortable, you're not supposed to feel comfortable being double-minded, living in a double, like two different ways of thinking, two different lives. God wants to free us through the person of Jesus. So in sticking with community and speaking of hearing and doing, we're going to do something that is said to do this in remembrance of me. It's the first of the month, communion. First, uh, First Corinthians 11 uh, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We're reminded, as we do this in remembrance of him, that there's mercy at the cross. That Jesus died so we don't have to. That his blood was shed so that we could be cleansed and saved from certain imminent death. And that he is so merciful that he would die for those who would crucify him. Good news. The bad news is, you're worse than you thought. <laughs> We're all worse than we thought. The good news is, God loves us more than we thought. So kind, so gracious. Fall on, his, on your face before him and just in, in, in deliver all of it. Here it all is. He can handle it. We can't handle it all. You give us everything you've ever done, be like, I need a nap, you know? And that's true for all of us. But God is so capable and willing and desiring us to just surrender to him, tell him everything he already knows, and then just to let him come in and transform our life by building a new foundation from the inside out based on what Jesus did on the cross. And then filled with this same spirit that was living in him, we now live on, we, give, we live fruitful lives. The whole world can see we have a purpose, we have a hope, and we get to live in that reality wholeheartedly with everything we have. Does that sound appealing? To me, it does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness towards us. It is so 
beyond measure. You've been so thoughtful. You've been so kind. You've been so good. We thank you that you, um, you love us and you see us. We thank you that you see us too. Because you can't really like love someone if you don't know them. And you know us, all of it. You know all of it. You know the stuff we haven't even said or even fully thought. And yet you see such tremendous potential that you called us your workmanship, your masterpiece. And that you created us to be doers of the word and doers of the work that you've set out for us to do. So we have a purpose, we have a plan, we have a reason for being here. So just everything that we're looking for in the world, acceptance, love, to be known, intimacy, purpose, all of it, it's in you. So help us to surrender to the only, to the really only true good thing that there is, is you and allow you to transform our lives and make us new. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. We, we take of this cup, too, and uh, the bread. We're reminded of the bread and, and what is represented by that little styrofoam wafer. Uh, <laughs> that it is, it is uh, your body that was broken for us. There was a real price to be paid. And it was really painful. And it was something you didn't necessarily want to do, but you, you wanted the result. And so thank you, Lord, for that. And then your blood that you shed, you, know, you, you died so that we didn't have to. A sacrifice had to be made. The, the spotless lamb without blemish. The lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you did it because you love us and you care about us. So help us to enjoy that and just to relish in that and to surrender fully to that so we can be wholehearted believers. So we can take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless. Thank you.